Act One, Part One of the Torchbearers by George Kelly. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Cast Mr. Frederick Richer, read by Adam Bialka. Mr. Huxley Hossifross, read by Larry Hayes. Mr. Spindler, read by Kristen Hand. Mr. Ralph Twiller, read by Matthew Reese. Teddy Sparing, read by Drew Starmer. Mr. Stage Manager, read by Todd. Mrs. Paula Ritter, read by Jen Broda. Mrs. J. Duro Pampanelli, read by Devorah Allen. Mrs. Nellie Fell, read by T.J. Burns. Miss Florence McRicket, read by Jennifer Pratt. Mrs. Clara Shepherd, read by B. L. Newman. Jenny, a housemaid at Ritter's, read by Emma Hatton. Stage directions, read by Larry Wilson. Scene, Act One, a kind of drawing room in the home of Frederick Ritter, on an evening in October, about eight o'clock. Act Two, behind the scenes at Horticultural Hall, the following evening at eight thirty. Act Three. The drawing room at Ritter's two hours later. Note The drawing room at Ritter's, in which the first and last acts are laid, is a comfortable looking room, suggestive of good circumstance. Toward the back there is a fancy wooden partition separating the hallway from the room proper. This partition begins rather high up on the side walls and curves deeply down to two ornamental columns five feet high and set about five feet apart, forming the entrance from the hallway to the room. Straight out through this entrance and paralleling the partition is the staircase running up to the left and through an arched doorway. The foot of the staircase is just to the right of the center door, and then the hallway continues on out to the front door. On the left there is a passageway between the staircase and the partition, running through an arched doorway to the body of the house. In the room proper, breaking the angle of the right wall and the partition, is a door opening out, and below this door a casement window. On the left, breaking the angle of the left wall and the partition, is the mantelpiece, and below it a door opening out. Just inside the partition on either side of the center door is a built-in seat. The entire room and hallway is done in a scheme of silver and the lighter shades of green. All the woodwork and furniture, including the piano and mantelpiece, is finished in silver green, and the walls and ceiling are in blended tones of orchid, gray, and green, decorated with tapestry panel effects. The carpet is gray-green, and the vases and clock on the mantelpiece, as well as the little cuckoo clock over the door at the left, are green. The drapes on the casement window and the doorways at the head of the stairs and in the left hallway are in rose-colored brocaded satin, and the pads on the partition seats are covered with the same material. The piano throw is a garishly subdued blend of old rose, Nile green, and canary-colored silk. Right out between the little wooden columns of the center door, set flat against the staircase, is a small console table holding a most beautiful rose-colored vase filled with wisteria, and on the piano there is a similar vase filled with white and yellow blossoms. On either side of the console table there is a tall tochier with a rose-colored shade, and the shades on the wall lights and the one on the lovely rose-colored vase lamp on the table down at the right below the casement window are all rose-colored. There's a brilliant array of cushions about the room, all shapes and sizes, and every color of the rainbow, and many books and magazines. The piano up at the right is littered with music, cigarettes in a fancy container, flour and candy, in a pretty box made of pink satin. The two armchairs in the room, one just to the left of the table below the window, and the other at the left side of the table over at the left, are overstuffed in green and silver brocade. There is a small table below the piano, with a light little chair beside it, the left side, and there is a similar chair over at the extreme left, below the door. The keyboard of the piano parallels the right wall, with enough room, of course, between the piano stool and wall to permit easy use of the door. 
there must also be room enough above the piano for a passageway between it and the partition seat the rights and lefts employed in the foregoing description are of course the players rights and lefts act one after a slight pause a door at the right is heard to close and immediately mr ritter comes along the hallway beyond the partition and into the room he is a brisk rather stocky type of man in his early forties wearing a brown suit and overcoat a derby hat and carrying a suitcase he sets the suitcase down on the partition seat at the right and with a glance around the room at the unusual arrangement of the furniture starts out into the hallway again removing his gloves and overcoat he glances along the hallway to the left and up the stairs as he goes jenny comes along the hallway from the left carrying a small light chair as she is about to come into the drawing-room proper from the hallway she becomes conscious of mr ritter out at the hall rack at the right she stops and peers in that direction she is a pleasant little english person plump and trim dressed in the regulation parlor-maid's black and white is that you mr ritter that's who it is jenny how are you jenny bringing the little chair forward and placing it above the little table at the left pretty well thanks mr ritter how are you ritter coming along the hallway from the right i'm whatever you are jenny jenny gives a faint little laugh and proceeds with her arrangements and ritter picks up several telegrams from the stand in the hallway just to the left of the centre entrance ain't you back a bit soon ritter coming forward to the small table at the right below the piano yes i thought i'd have to go down to cincinnati for a week or two but i didn't mrs ritter ain't expectin you is she ritter glancing through the telegrams no she isn't jenny i thought i didn't remember hearing her saying nothing where is she jenny starting for the hallway she's upstairs sir i'll call her ritter with a glance at the furniture what are you doing around here jenny house cleaning jenny turning and coming back no sir there's a rehearsal here tonight ritter stops reading and looks at her quizzically for a second what kind of rehearsal why a rehearsal for a show that mrs ritter's taken part in tomorrow night they done it at the civic club the week after you went away and they liked it so well they're doing it again tomorrow night who liked it sir i say who liked it so well that they're doing it again why everybody seemed to like it mr ritter from what the papers said what kind of show is it why i think it's a tragedy from what i gather did you see it jenny no sir i didn't get to see it i'm sorry to say but i heard everyone connected with it saying it was a great success ritter resumes his telegrams then looks at jenny suddenly how did mrs ritter get into it why i think somebody died mr ritter if i'm not mistaken ritter shaking his head conclusively and resuming his telegram <sighs> i assumed it was an extremity of some kind mrs ritter at the top of the stairs at the back fred ritter don't tell me that's you down there jenny turns quickly and goes to the foot of the stairs no i'm still out in chicago is it jenny yes ma'am i was just coming to tell you mrs ritter starting down the stairs i thought i heard his voice jenny laughs i've been standing up here for the last five minutes saying to myself who can that be that has a voice so much like fred's coming into the room from the hallway why fred darling what are you doing here he has moved up towards the centre door ritter laughing a little <laughs> how is the old kid Mwah. kisses her i thought you wouldn't be back till the first jenny passes along the hallway to the left why that cincinnati thing's been postponed till after thanksgiving mrs ritter turning away from him and stepping out into the hallway again well why didn't you wire or something i was afraid of giving you a shock oh jenny you're such a frail little flower mrs ritter turning back to him now stop fred i've really lost a lot since you went away how do you know jenny comes along the hallway from the left why my dear i can tell by my clothes she turns to jenny 
jenny will you get me a glass of water please jenny starting out yes ma'am you're not going to faint are you mrs ritter turning back to him again with a flip of her hand at him no i'm not ritter slipping his arm around her waist and coming forward any mail for me not a single thing fred i sent everything right on to chicago as soon as it came there must be several letters there for you now ritter disengaging himself and taking her hands and looking at her i'll get them all right how have you been treating yourself while i've been away all right only i'm glad to see you back kiss me the house seemed awfully lonesome kiss me she kisses him mrs ritter passing above him to the piano at the right crazy thing he moves over to the little table at the left rummaging in his pocket for a cigar and mrs ritter commences to rummage in a sewing basket on the piano this basket is mrs ritter at a glance all green and yellow satin fraught with meaningless bows and weird-looking knots she undoubtedly made it herself and it must have taken her months but she's a practical woman at least she thinks she is and the sewing basket helps in a way to sustain the conviction poor paula as one looks at her and listens to her he appreciates the fortune of circumstance that there is some sane and capable person between her and the world and as he more closely observes the sewing basket he rejoices in the blessing of the sane and capable person's ability to spare her the necessity of having to make her own clothes although as a matter of fact she would look lovely in anything for paula is pretty charmingly so and her hair is marvellous so gold and satiny she is wearing a dress now of lime-green silk with a standing collar edged with black fur and gold-colored slippers did you have anything to eat fred yes i ate on the train what's this jenny was saying something about a show you're in oh looking at him did she tell you i wondered what had happened to the furniture when i came in mrs ritter coming around and forward towards the little table below the piano yes there's a rehearsal here tonight we have it every tuesday and thursday of course it's just to run over the lines because we've done it already at the civic club on the fourteenth and my dear it was perfectly marvellous what kind of show is it mrs ritter standing back at the table oh it's just a one-act play in one act you know and it was really quite wonderful she gives an inane laugh i had no idea she touches her hair and turns towards the back of the room again how did you happen to get into it jenny comes along the hallway from the left carrying a glass of water on a small tray mrs ritter turning to him well now wait till i tell you she sees jenny oh thanks jenny jenny starts out again jenny will you go to the top of the stairs and see if i left the lights burning in my room jenny turning and starting towards the foot of the stairs in the right hallway and setting the tray on the little stand as she goes yes ma'am mrs ritter coming forward holding the glass of water i think i did she sips jenny as she crosses the center door do you want that suitcase taken up, Mr. Ritter? Mrs. Ritter turns round to the right and watches Jenny. Yes, you can take it up, if you will, Jenny. Thanks. Jenny lifts the suitcase from the partition seat and goes out and up the stairs. Mrs. Ritter turning to Ritter. You know, I wrote to you about poor Jimmy Shepherd. Yes. What was that? Had he been sick? Why, not a day, my dear that's the reason it was all so dreadful of course he'd always had more or less of a weak heart but nothing to threaten anything of that kind and just three days before the performance mind you couldn't happen any other time and poor mrs shepherd playing one of the leading parts she turns to her left and goes up to the center door where she looks out toward the right hallway expectantly ritter casually depositing the band of his cigar on the tray at his left did he know she was to play one of the leading parts mrs ritter turning at the center door and looking at him who mr shepherd yes 
Mrs. Ritter coming forward again. Why, of course he did. She'd just finished telling him when he fell over. Ritter appears to be unduly occupied with his cigar, and Mrs. Ritter takes advantage of the circumstance to refresh herself with another sip from the glass. My dear, poor Clara Shepherd is a wreck. You want to write her a note, Fred, when you get time. And he never spoke, not a solitary word. But, she says, just as he was dying, he gave her the funniest look. Oh, she says, if she lives to be a thousand, she'll never forget the way he looked at her. She goes up to the center door and sets the glass down on the tray. Ritter still busy with his cigar. Had he ever seen her act? Mrs. Ritter turning to him thoughtfully. I don't know whether he ever had or not. Jenny comes down the stairs. Oh, yes, he had too, for I saw him myself at the Century Drawing Rooms last Easter Monday night, and she was in that play there that night, you remember. She moves to the piano and starts looking for something in the sewing basket. He moves to the mantelpiece up at the left apparently looking for a match no i wasn't there oh weren't you i thought you were no he feels in his pockets there are matches there on that little table there fred she indicates the table below the mantelpiece ritter discovering some in his pocket i have some here he moves to the armchair at the left of the table and sits down mrs ritter as jenny passes along the hallway towards the left Oh, Jenny. Yes, ma'am. Jenny, will you ask Mrs. Brock if she'll make some of that drink that she made the last time? I think she has made it already, Mrs. Ritter. Well, will you see, Jenny, please? Jenny starting away. Yes, ma'am. Mrs. Ritter to Ritter. The folks liked it so much the last time. She picks up her sewing basket. All right, Mrs. Ritter. She disappears at the left. Mrs. Ritter stepping out into the hallway. Oh, and Jenny? Jenny out at the left. Yes, ma'am? Tell her to put a little of that gin in it, the way she did before. All right, ma'am. Tell her she'll find some gin in the little buffet in the big dining room. She probably knows where it is. Mrs. Ritter coming forward carrying her sewing basket. Well, anyway, that's how I happened to get into it. She sits on the chair at the left of the small table below the piano. Mrs. Pampanelli called me up first thing in the morning, and she said, Is she in it, too? Mrs. Ritter, looking up from the arrangement of a couple of strips of lace, which she has taken from the sewing basket. Who, Mrs. Pampanelli? Yes. No, she doesn't take any part. She's just in charge of everything. That suits her better. Kind of directress, I suppose you'd call her. He has some difficulty keeping his face straight. Tells us where to go, you know, on the stage, so we won't be running into each other. <laughs> Ritter laughs. Really, Fred, you have no idea how easy it is to run into somebody on the stage. You've got to know where you're going every time you move. <laughs> Why, what are you laughing at? I was just thinking of a few of the things I've heard Mrs. Pampinelli called. Mrs. Ritter looking over at him reproachfully. Oh, now that isn't a bit nice of you, Fred Ritter. I know you don't like her. I like her all right. No, you do not now, Fred. So don't say you do. I think she's marvelous. Well, she's tremendously clever at the stage business. I don't care what you say. You just ought to hear her talk about it sometime. Now, the last rehearsal we had over at her house, she spoke on technique in acting as distinguished from method, and you've no idea how interesting it was. Ritter glances over at her as he deposits some ashes from his cigar on the little table tray. You say you've given this show before? Oh, yes. We gave it on the 14th at the Civic Club. And, my dear, that audience just loved it. And you'd be surprised, too, for it's a terrifically serious thing. In fact, in a way, it's too serious for the general public. That's the reason several of the people who saw it suggested that, if we give it again, we should give a dance right after it. She looks closely at her needle. 
and ritter looks discreetly at the end of his cigar but as mrs pampanelli says it's an absolute impossibility to give a dance at either the civic club or the sentry drawing-rooms so that's how we're giving it this time down at hutchy cutchy ritter looks over at her with a quizzical squint where mrs ritter looking over at him horticultural hall there at broad and spruce you know yes i know what did you call it hutchy cutchy she laughs inanely mrs pampanelli always calls it that i suppose i've gotten into the habit too from hearing her she gives another little laugh then finishes with an amused sigh what's the show for a charity of some kind mrs ritter turning to him suddenly with a shade of practicality it's for the seamen's institute kind of a refuge for them you know while they're in port so the sailors won't be wandering around the streets getting into bad company ritter disposes of more ashes with an unusual precision and mrs ritter resumes her sewing then suddenly she glances toward the casement window at the right it was mrs pampanelli's idea she gathers her things into the sewing basket and gets up swinging round to her left and talking as she goes so of course she didn't want anything to happen she sets the sewing basket down on the piano and with another glance through the window at the right crosses to the little table at the left where ritter is sitting so she called me up the first thing in the morning and she said paula darling have you heard the news so of course i said no because up to that time i hadn't and naturally i wasn't going to say that i had certainly not well she said poor jimmy shepherd has just passed on well luckily i was sitting down at the time or i positively think i should have passed on myself ritter raising his hand from the table as though distressed by the extremity of her remarks Ugh, don't say such things mrs ritter mistaking his attitude no really fred you've no idea the feeling that came over me when she said that well i said betty what on earth are we going to do because the tickets were all sold you know well she said paula the only thing i see to do is to have you step right into clara shepherd's role me i said yes she said you are the only person in my opinion who is qualified to play the part but my dear i said i've never stepped on a stage in my life that is absolutely inconsequential she said it is entirely a matter of dramatic instinct and she said she simpers a bit here and moves around from the right of the little table where she has been standing to the back of her husband's chair at the left of the table you have that to a far greater degree than you've any idea of <laughs> he makes a sound of dry amusement no really fred everyone was saying it was a positive tragedy that you couldn't have been there to see me i never forgot myself once she rests her hand on his left shoulder and he reaches up and takes her hand what are you going to do now become an actress no but it surprised me so the way everybody enthused because i didn't think i'd done anything so extraordinary i just walked on to the stage and said what i'd been told to say and walked off again she emphasizes this last phrase by an indefinite gesture of nonchalance in the direction of the door at the left and yet everybody seemed to think it was wonderful why nelly fell said she'd never seen even a professional actress so absolutely unconscious <laughs> he makes a sound of amusement really fred you ought to have heard them why they said if they didn't know they never in the world would have believed that it was my first offence you mustn't believe everything these women tell you they'll tell you anything to get their names in the paper well it wasn't only they that said it people that i didn't even know said it why mrs pampanelli had a letter from a woman away out at glenside that happened to see the performance and she said that at times my repose was positively uncanny and the paper simply raved 
especially the evening breeze i have it upstairs i must show it to you it said that it didn't understand how i had escaped the public eye so long she glances at the cuckoo clock over the door at the left and in doing so notices a book that has been left lying on the chair below the door she steps over and picks it up i was awfully sorry you couldn't have been there fred i was going to write you about it when mrs pampanelli first spoke to me about going on but there was so little time you see and then i didn't think you'd mind especially on the account of it being for charity he is very carefully putting ashes on the little tray she stands holding the book looking at him and there is a slight pause you don't mind my going on do you fred ritter rather slowly no i don't mind if you're able to get away with it mrs ritter trailing across back of his chair i didn't think you would ritter raising his hand from the table quietly but uh she comes to a stop and regards him over her left shoulder i don't want any of these women exploiting you for their own vanity she doesn't quite encompass his meaning and stands looking at him for a second then she abstractedly lays the book down on the table beside him there is a very definite ring at the front doorbell i guess that's some of the people she starts towards the hallway ritter preparing to rise where do you do this thing here mrs ritter turning to him and indicating the general arrangement yes just the way we have it fixed ritter rising briskly and crossing to the table below the piano at the right while mrs ritter continues to the centre door and stands looking toward the front door jenny appears in the left hallway i think i'll beat it upstairs mrs ritter turning to jenny i guess that's some of the people jenny she comes forward towards ritter again yes ma'am she passes back of mrs ritter and along out into the right hallway to answer the door won't you wait and see the rehearsal fred he is gathering up the telegrams from the table where he left them earlier ritter turning and going up towards the centre door thrusting the telegrams into his inside pocket no i think i'd rather wait and see the show he passes her to her left mrs ritter turning and trailing up towards the centre door after him it's really very interesting mrs pampanelli out at the front door you see how considerate i am of you jenny letting myself in mr and mrs ritter stop in the centre door and look toward the front door jenny at the front door oh that's all right mrs pampanelli mrs ritter turning quickly to ritter at her left you can't go up now fred she'll see you ritter coming back into the room with a slight gesture of annoyance <sighs> i don't want to have to listen to her gab he goes over to the metal piece at the left and takes up his position there while mrs ritter with a movement to him to be silent drifts down beside the piano at the right well i dare say you'll have to open this door quite often enough to-night without my troubling you mrs pampanelli coming into view from the right hallway well i suppose i'm still a shining example of punctuality she sweeps through the centre door carrying a large back bear muff a fan of black ostrich plumes and a notebook and pencil how do you do mr ritter she goes towards mrs ritter ritter nodding how do you do i'm glad to see you mrs ritter moving towards mrs pampanelli hello betty hello paula child kisses her how are you dear mr spindler hurries in from the right hallway carrying several books mrs pampanelli steps to the table below the piano will you give those things to mrs ritter mr spindler she'll set them down somewhere she sets her own encumbrances down on the table and mrs ritter passes back of her to spindler spindler standing in the middle of the room toward the back certainly certainly good evening mr spindler good evening good evening jenny comes in from the right hallway takes the tray and glass from the hall table and goes out the left hallway i'll just take these spindler giving her the books and manuscript if you please mrs pampanelli crossing directly to ritter florence mccricket told me you were back she saw you getting into a taxicab at the station 
giving him her hand. I'm glad to see you. I just got in. And I suppose you've already heard about the great event? Yes, she's been telling me. <laughs> they laughed together. Well, my dear, you may count that day lost that you missed it. She half turns to Mrs. Ritter, who is engaged in conversation with Spindler. Mayn't he, Paula? But Paula hasn't heard what she's been saying, so she just looks at her and gives an inane little laugh. Mrs. Pampanelli continues to Ritter. Although you'll have an opportunity tomorrow night, unless you're going to run away again before that. No, I'll be here now till after Thanksgiving. Mrs. Ritter leaves Spindler and goes over to a small table at the extreme right, below the casement window, where she sets the books and manuscript down. Mrs. Pampanelli turning from Ritter and crossing back again to the table at the right, below the piano. Wonderful. Did you hear that, Paula? What is it, dear? Mr. Ritter says he will be here for the performance tomorrow night. Yes. Mrs. Pampanelli unfastening her fur neck piece. So you will have an opportunity after all of revealing to him what gems of talent the unfathomed caves of matrimony bear. They both laugh. Mrs. Ritter picking up Mrs. Pampanelli's muff from the table and taking the neck piece. I'll just take these, Betty. Mrs. Pampanelli settling her beads. Anywhere at all, dear. Mrs. Ritter starts to the right. Oh, and by the way, Paula. Mrs. Ritter stops and turns to her. Yes? Mrs. Pampanelli indicating the books on the table below the window. There's a remarkable article in one of those books I brought on a gesture. Mrs. Ritter looking at the books. Yes? The little gray book, I think it is, if I'm not mistaken. She turns to the left and acknowledges Mr. Spindler with a touch of state. Mr. Spindler? He returns a smiling and very snappy little bow. Brought it to my attention. She turns back again to Paula, who has gone up at the right of the piano and is putting the furs on the partition seat, while Spindler, becoming suddenly conscious that Ritter is looking at him, stiffens abruptly, glances at Ritter, and turns back again to Mrs. Pampanelli. And it really is remarkable. So many of my own ideas, things that I have been advocating for years. I brought it especially for you, Paula, so you must read it when you have time. She picks up her lead pencil from the little table, and tapping it against her right temple, thinks profoundly. What is that wonderful line of Emerson's that I'm so fond of? Something about our unexpressed thoughts coming back to accuse us? Turning to Spindler. You know all those things, Mr. Spindler. Spindler pedantically. Coming back to us with an alienated majesty. That is the one I mean. She turns back again to Paula, who has by this time come forward again at the right of the piano, while Mr. Spindler, again becoming conscious that Ritter is looking at him, gives him another glance, this time with a shade of resentment in it, and coughing briefly as an emphasis of his dignity, which Ritter's general attitude somehow suggests as not being sufficiently esteemed, turns back to Mrs. Pampanelli. Well, that is exactly what occurred to me when I read that article. My own thoughts returning to me from an alienated majesty. She finishes her version of the quotation to Spindler and Mr. Ritter. Oh, by the way. <laughs> she gives a little mirthless laugh. I'm afraid I've neglected to introduce Mr. Spindler. Indicating Ritter with a very casual gesture of her left hand and picking up her lead pencil from the little table. This is Mrs. Ritter's husband, Mr. Spindler. Spindler strides towards Ritter and extends his hand with that vigor which usually characterizes the greetings of unimportant persons. Glad. Ritter tonelessly. How are you? Mrs. Pampanelli, addressing Ritter directly. Mr. Spindler is a young man who has made quite an exhaustive study of the little theater movement throughout the country. Spindler moves back towards his former position, and Paula over at the right takes a piece of fudge from a box on the little table below the casement window and is working very hard to bring about something of the same kind here. Ritter inclines his head, and Spindler listens to Mrs. Pampanelli, wreathed in smiles. And is going to succeed, too, aren't you, Mr. Spindler? Spindler with a kind of pert assurance. Never fell down on a big job yet. 
<laughs> he gives a self-conscious little laugh and glances at Ritter, under whose coldly appraising eye the laugh freezes instantly into a short, hollow cough. He then turns away. I'm sure he has all the qualifications. Spindler with a wooden smile and saluting. Thank you. Thank you. Hasn't he, Paula? Mrs. Ritter nibbling at the fudge. Yes, indeed. Mr. Spindler's quite indispensable. Spindler gives her a pert little nod by way of acknowledgment. Mrs. Pampanelli to Mrs. Ritter. I think that's what I shall have to call him hereafter. Turning to Spindler. The indispensable Mr. Spindler. They all laugh a trifle more than the brilliancy of the remark should reasonably occasion, and Mr. Spindler accounts it even worthy a salute. Bouquets were falling. Here the front doorbell gives two sharp little staccato rings. Thick and fast. He starts towards the center door. Well, it's true. Spindler speaking directly to Mrs. Ritter. I'll answer it. He hurries out into the right hallway. I don't know what on earth I should do without him. Mrs. Ritter addressing Spindler as he hurries out the hallway. All right, if you will, Mr. Spindler. Spindler calling back. Sure. He is one of those rare persons who never forsakes one in the hour of quotation. She turns to Mrs. Ritter, who is chewing fudge at her right. What are you eating, Paula? A bit of fudge. Would you like some, Betty? Mrs. Pampanelli very definitely. No, thank you, dear. Mrs. Ritter indicating the table below the casement window. There's some here. Mrs. Pampanelli raising her hand in a gesture of finality and speaking with conviction. I never eat immediately before using my voice. And you should not either, Paula, particularly candy. She moves across to the left to Mr. Ritter. She is an imposing woman in her late fifties, with a wealth of false hair perfectly done and a martial bearing. She is one of those matrons who is frequently referred to in the suburban weeklies as a leading spirit, and this particular description has always so flattered Mrs. Pampanelli's particular vanity that she overlooks no opportunity of justifying it. In an effort that has resulted in a certain grandeur of voice and manner, which rather fortunately becomes the distinction of her person, she is gowned in sapphire blue velvet, close-fitting, with an independent triangular train from the waist, probably four yards long. Her necklace comb, the buckles on her black velvet slippers, and her rings are all touched with sapphire. Mrs. Ritter looking vaguely at the fudge box. There's so much of it here. Jenny appears from the left hallway. Mrs. Ritter going to the center door and speaking to Jenny as she goes. Mr. Spendler is answering the door, Jenny. You needn't bother. Mrs. Pampanelli coming to Ritter's right. Very tragic about poor Shepherd, wasn't it, Mr. Ritter? Ritter to Mrs. Pampanelli. Yes, it was. Too bad. Jenny to Mrs. Ritter. Oh, all right, then. She withdraws, and Mrs. Ritter stands looking out into the right hallway. I suppose Paula wrote you? Yes. Dear me, I don't know when anything has so upset me. Ritter stands looking at the end of his cigar, and Mrs. Pampanelli looks straight ahead. I don't believe I closed an eye the entire night, wondering where on earth I should find someone to play his wife's part. Ritter glances at her as he places the cigar in his mouth, and Mrs. Pampanelli looks at him quickly. Because, of course, you know that Mrs. Shepherd was to have played the part that Paula plays. Yes, so she told me. Mrs. Ritter, still nibbling at the fudge, wanders down and stands in the middle of the room. But we only had three days to get someone, and it didn't seem possible to me that anyone could memorize that part in that length of time. Mrs. Ritter touches her hair and makes a little sound of amusement, a kind of modest acknowledgment of the brilliancy of her achievement. So I thought at first of having Clara Shepherd go on anyway, and I should make an announcement— but you see, Mr. Shepherd was buried on the 14th, and that was the night of the performance. And as I thought the matter over, it seemed to me that perhaps it was just a little too much to expect of her. Ritter gives her another glance. Considering her experience as an actress, I mean. Ritter taking the cigar from his mouth and speaking with a shade of deliberation. 
Couldn't she have kept his death a secret until after the performance? Well, I thought of that, too. Ritter looks at her steadily. But you see, it was three days. He nods understandingly. And he was so very well known. She moves back across the room towards the table below the piano, and Ritter stands looking after her. Simultaneously, there is a frantic giggle from the right hallway. Mrs. Ritter goes up to the center door, looks in the direction of the laughter, and waves her handkerchief, while Mrs. Pampanelli, passing below the table, gathers up her notebook and pencil and continues to the table below the casement window, where she secures the manuscript. Ritter steps forward from his position before the mantelpiece and disposes of some ashes on the little table tray. Mrs. Fell, out in the right hallway. Paula, that's a very dangerous young man you have on the door tonight. Mrs. Ritter calling to her. I think it's very kind of Mr. Spendler. Mrs. Pampanelli comes around in front of the big armchair below the casement window. Mrs. Fell coming into view with considerable flourish. Kind. My dear, I haven't heard anything like it since I was twenty. She gives a little wave of her gorgeous single white ostrich plume fan at Mrs. Pampanelli. Hello, Betty. Then to Mrs. Ritter. How are you, darling? Hello, Nellie. Nellie kisses her. Mrs. Pampanelli enthroning herself in the armchair at the right. Is it really possible? Mrs. Fell, turning from Mrs. Ritter and hurrying through the center door. You're a sweet child. Extending the fan towards Mrs. Pampanelli and coming quickly forward to the table at the right below the piano. Yes, and I should have been here every night at this hour if it weren't for that dreadful officer up at the parkway. She sets her fan and black velvet bag on the table. Spindler comes in from the right hallway and engages in conversation with Mrs. Ritter at the center door. He seems to take a fiendish delight in selecting my car, of all the millions that pass there at this hour, to do this. She extends her right arm and hand after the fashion of traffic officers. So I told him yesterday afternoon. I said, look here, young man. She points her forefinger as though reproving the officer. You needn't expect any Christmas present from me next Christmas, for you just won't get it. Not till you change your tactics. So he says, after this, he's just going to let me go ahead and run into a trolley car. See how I like that. Mrs. Pampanelli, making marginal notes in the manuscript, laughs faintly. Well, I said, it'll be a change anyway from being stopped all the time. She abstractedly picks up her fan again. I don't think he likes my chauffeur. And I don't blame him. I don't like him myself. He drives too slow. She starts from the center door. He's like an old woman. She sees Ritter peering at her and starts abruptly. Well, for mercy's sakes, Frederick Ritter. You don't mean to tell me that's you. I was here a minute ago. Mrs. Fell laughing flattily. Well, I declare. I don't know what's happening to my eyes. Turning towards Mrs. Pampanelli. I saw him standing there turning back again and starting towards Ritter, with her hand extended. But I thought it was one of the other gentlemen. How are you, dear boy? He takes her hand and stoops over as though to kiss her. She turns her head away quickly. <laughs> Stop it! Frederick Ritter! Mrs. Pampanelli glances over, then resumes her notes. Mrs. Fell half turns to Mrs. Ritter, who is still talking to Mr. Spindler at the center door. Paula, do you see what this bad boy of yours is doing? Paula just looks and laughs meaninglessly and resumes her conversation with Spindler. What brought you back so soon? Ritter, assuming the attitude and tone of a lover. Ah, oh, I got thinking of you. Mrs. Fell, touching her hair. I 
thought you were out in Seattle or South Carolina or one of those funny places. Richard leaning a bit closer and speaking more softly. I couldn't keep away from you any longer. Nellie darts a swift glance at him. Mrs. Fell starting towards the right. Don't play with fire, Frederick. He laughs hard. She pauses in the middle of the room and turns and looks at him. You know what they say about widows, and I've been all kinds. She continues over towards Mrs. Pampanelli. Oh, Professor Pampanelli. Turning and addressing Ritter directly. I call her Professor. She knows so much. Turning back to Mrs. Pampanelli. Mrs. P. Mrs. Pampanelli looking up suddenly. I beg your pardon, Nellie, dear. I didn't know you were speaking to me. I want to know if you can take me home in your car tonight. Why, certainly, dear. My chauffeur has been deviling me for the past two days about some boxing bee or wrestling match or something that he wants to see. And I told him he could go if there was someone here to take me home. I can take you, of course. All right, then. I can chase him. She turns to the left. I won't hear any more about that. Oh, Mr. Spindler. Yes, ma'am? Excuses himself to Mrs. Ritter, who steps into the left hallway and beckons with her finger for Jenny. Would you mind doing a favor for a very old lady? Spindler, who has hurried forward and is standing in the middle of the room at attention. You know what I told you out at the door? Nellie gives a shriek and giggles. Mrs. Fell looking coyly over Spindler's shoulder at Twitter. <laughs> you hear that, Frederick Ritter? You have a rival on the premises. Mr. Spindler told me out at the door tonight that my will was his pleasure. Ritter looking at the tip of his cigar. San Juan is never dead while Mr. Spindler lives. <laughs> There's a general laugh. Spindler turning to Ritter. Say, that's pretty good. Yes, I was afraid he was something of a gay deceiver. Spindler speaking directly to Mrs. Fell. Only one way to find out. Mrs. Fell laughs deprecatingly and sweeps the tip of her fan across his nose. <laughs> Naughty boy. She giggles a little more, then becomes practical. Well, then, I'll tell you what you may do for me, Mr. Spindler, if you don't mind. Jenny appears in the left hallway, and Mrs. Ritter gives her an order of some sort, which appears to require a bit of explanation. Go out to my chauffeur. She turns him round by the shoulder, and they move up towards the center door. You'll probably find him asleep in the car, and tell him that I said it's all right, he can go along. That Mrs. Pampanelli will take me home in her car. Spindler hurrying out the right hallway. Right-o! Jenny withdraws. Mrs. Fell standing in the center door and calling after him. Like a good boy. She turns to find Mrs. Ritter at her left in the center door. She takes her arm and they come forward. Come in here, Paula Ritter, and explain to me why. They stop in the middle of the room, just above the line on which Ritter is standing. You didn't tell me my lover. She peers around in front of Paula's shoulder at Ritter. Was coming back today? Mrs. Ritter, laughing faintly. My dear, I didn't know it myself until twenty minutes ago. Mrs. Fell, becoming instantly rigid and piercing Mrs. Ritter with a look. You don't mean to tell me he returned unexpectedly. He never even sent a wire. Mrs. Fell moving over to the right to the little table below the piano. I'm surprised at you, Frederick. I consider that the supreme indiscretion in a husband. She lays her fan down on the table. To return unexpectedly, isn't it, Paula? She commences to unfasten her cloak. Mrs. Ritter moving over to help her. I never got such a surprise in my life. It has probably wrecked more perfectly good homes than any other thing in the calendar. She slips her cloak off her shoulders, and Mrs. Ritter, who has passed back of her, takes it. 
it is a flowing affair in black and silver with voluminous kimono sleeves edged with black fur and a deep circular collar of silver cloth and fur i love your cape nelly mrs fell setting her ornaments do you really mrs ritter examining it beautiful mrs pampanelli reaching for it let me see it paula mrs ritter handing it to her where's your seal nelly i thought i wouldn't take it out this winter i got so tired of looking at it last year i want to have that collar and cuffs taken off anyway before i wear it again there's too much skunk there this is perfectly gorgeous dear to mrs ritter isn't it mrs ritter picking up nelly's fan from the table lovely and isn't this sweet mrs pampanelli takes the fan from mrs ritter and returns the wrap charming i'm so glad you like it i was afraid at first perhaps it might make me look a little too much like a bride ritter with mock derision ha nelly snaps her head toward him and pins him with a narrow glare don't be peevish frederick mrs ritter to mrs pampanelli as she takes the fan from her and replaces it on the table isn't he terrible it isn't my fault that your wife is a great actress she gives a comic nod and wink at mrs ritter ritter laughs mrs ritter starting towards the door up above the casement window at the right with mrs fell's cape now fred ritter you just stop that never mind him paula paula goes out with the cape he'll probably change his tune after tomorrow night mrs fell picks up her fan and commences to fan herself ritter standing above the table at the left smoking i'm thinking of what happened to poor jimmy shepherd jenny comes in at the left hallway carrying a small punch-bowl filled with claret which she sets down carefully on the little stand in the hallway mrs ritter re-enters from the door on the right and crosses over to jenny whom she assists mrs fell strolling across towards ritter fanning herself oh i suppose it must be very difficult for the marvellous male to suddenly find himself obliged to bask in the reflected glory of a mere wife mrs pampanelli laughs over her notes for i've never known one yet who was able to do it gracefully she flips the tip of the fan at ritter's nose mrs ritter gives jenny a direction of some kind and jenny goes out again at the left hallway mrs pampanelli as mrs fell saunters back again across the room well perhaps mr ritter will show himself consistently masculine in this instance and do the exceptional thing mrs ritter follows jenny out i suppose that's what you'd call veiled sarcasm isn't it mrs pampanelli laughs and rises mrs fell standing in the middle of the room i shouldn't say it was veiled at all moving towards the table below the piano i don't think it's even draped mrs pampanelli laughing still and coming to the little table here's the manuscript nelly mrs fell stepping closer to the table yes dear what are you going to do now keep on giving the show well not this particular one mr ritter no but we are going to continue giving shows what's the idea they're to be for different charities and then they will afford the boys and girls an opportunity of developing themselves as artists what are they going to do all go on the stage well hardly all of them will go but those that we feel have sufficient talent we will encourage to go on by all means do you think mrs ritter has sufficient talent she's wonderful fred really yes i should say that paula had a very remarkable talent well what will you do about her how do you mean mr ritter what will we do about her why i mean you'd hardly encourage her to go on the stage would you and why not why what about her home nelly fell touches her hair and gives mrs pampanelli a look of amused impatience she couldn't very well walk away and leave that could she well personally mr ritter i have always felt that where it is a question of talent one should not allow himself to be deterred 
by purely personal considerations she's really awfully good fred you wait till you see you'll want her to go yourself ritter stepping quietly to the table at the left and disposing of some cigar ashes she'll have to be pretty good won't he betty well as far as that is concerned i think that the question of whether to be or not to be an actress is one that every woman must at some time or other in her life decide for herself spindler hurries in from the right hallway and down to mrs fell's left where he stands at attention saluting of course as usual mr spindler is full of salutes he was in the army drafted ten weeks before the armistice and subjected throughout the long term of his service to the dangers and exposures of a clerkship in the personnel at upton and he's never gotten over it being of that immature type of mind upon which the letter of the military makes a profound impression he's a peppy person thin and stilted in dinner clothes with sleek hair and goggle glasses one of the distressing student order that is inevitably to be found in the retinue of some mrs pompanelli her social status and constant championship of so-called artistic movements affording him a legitimate indulgence of his particular weaknesses so he becomes a kind of lead pencil-bearer extraordinary to her ladyship and her ladyship tolerates him for a variety of reasons not the least of which is his unfailing attitude of acquiescence in all her opinions and she has so many opinions and on so many different subjects that this feature of mr spindler's disposition is far from inconsiderable then he has a most highly developed faculty for small correctnesses an especially valuable asset in view of the enormous amount of detail work incidental to mrs pampanelli's vast activities he reminds her of things or brings them to her attention as she puts it for mr spindler is one of those fortunately few people who remember things word for word even the things he's read and he appears to have read most everything and he quotes incessantly as mrs pampanelli has already observed of him he is one of those rare persons who never forsakes one in the hour of quotation look here nelly yes dear mrs ritter comes in from the left hallway carrying several punch glasses which she puts down on the hallway table mrs pampanelli indicating a certain line in the manuscript with her lead pencil there are a couple of little changes here on page twelve mrs fell opens her lognon and looks at the manuscript i have them marked mrs fell becoming conscious of spindler at her left pardon me betty turning to spindler did you tell him mr spindler yes ma'am he's gone on his way rejoicing you're a sweet child spindler snapping his salute thank you he does an about face and goes up to mrs ritter ritter watching him with an expression susceptible of infinite interpretation the only man i've met in a long time that has made me wish i were <clears throat> ten years younger ha <laughs> mrs fell pertly outside of you of course mrs pampanelli with a touch of wearied impatience look here dear mrs fell stepping quickly to the table again and readjusting her lognon yes i beg your pardon you see in this line here the author has employed a defective verb in the perfect tense mrs fell looks suddenly at her and then right back to the manuscript again ritter is watching them closely would you come here for a moment mr spindler certainly certainly excuses himself to mrs ritter with whom he has been chatting and comes down briskly to mrs fell's left if you please mrs fell appearing to have some difficulty locating the defective verb where is that now that you were saying betty mrs pampanelli indicating with the point of the pencil right there dear nelly just looks at the spot through her lorgnon this is the point i was speaking to you about last night mr spindler spindler securing his goggles oh yes yes ritter draws mrs ritter's attention to the group down at the table she reproves him with a steady stare he smiles and shakes his head hopelessly you see this author has employed a defective here in the perfect tense 
Spindler looking closely. Ah, I see. Mrs. Pampanelli looking at him directly. So I have changed it. He straightens up and looks at her, and Mrs. Fell looks from one to the other. A very good change. He nods and crosses over to the left, passing below the table at the left. Ritter watches him until he takes up his position just below the mantelpiece, rather ill at ease under Ritter's gaze. I think so. So if you'll just watch that, Nellie. She picks up the manuscript. All right, I'll watch it. She reaches for her bag and takes out a lipstick. Jenny appears from the left hallway with a tray of cakes, which Mrs. Ritter assists her in making room for on the hall table. Mrs. Pampanelli starting for the center door. I must show it to Paula. It's her line. The doorbell rings. Paula, child. Jenny passes back of Mrs. Ritter and goes out into the right hallway to answer the doorbell. Mrs. Ritter eating a cake. Yes, dear. Mrs. Pampanelli calls her attention to the change in the manuscript. End of Act One, Part One